Hey, before we start the show, I'd like to give a shout out to one of our sponsors, Hackbright Academy. Hackbright Academy is an all-women coding boot camp in San Francisco. They were founded with the mission to provide women with a personalized path to a software engineering career. One of the most impressive things about the school is the tight-knit community they've created. They truly believe in empowering each other and working to change the ratio of women in the tech industry. Hackbright firmly believes that when you combine a community of like-minded, ambitious women and a network of strong support, the possibilities are endless. Check out their programs at hackbrightacademy.com. I wanted it to be very West Coast. I was like, we're a West Coast podcast company. Let's have like a West Coast name. We didn't have a designer. We would do one week sprints. You know, I am someone who strongly believes in the mantra, do not prematurely optimize. If it doesn't help us iterate on product, then it's not valuable. You can do it as a side project. We didn't quit our day jobs. I had a day job. Really build for what you need at the moment and everything is changeable. I guess my advice is like, don't do things until you absolutely need them. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Leah Culver set out to use the power of social networking to help you discover your favorite podcasts. All this and more on Code Story. The quick hit of a radio show, the impact of a good book, the content control of a news feed. These are some of the things that make podcasts great. Yet there was something missing when Leah Culver tried to find her next episode to listen to while training for her first marathon. And that thing was a more powerful way to discover the podcast you love through your subscriptions, activity, and most of all, through the power of social networking and suggestion. So she decided to fix it and built Breaker, an app that helps you discover new podcasts and episodes based on the content you and your friends like most. Okay, before we jump into Breaker a bit, tell me, tell me about your path after college, your career path up to where you are now. Yeah. So I, I've actually had a ton of different jobs right before Breaker. I was working at Dropbox. So I was there for three years. Um, and before that, a handful of startups. So Breaker is actually the third startup I founded. Um, the previous two, obviously not huge successes, but um, learned a lot. And then I've worked for a handful of small startups in between things people may or may not have ever heard of mostly in sort of blogging, social media, social networking, all sort of here in San Francisco. You worked for Dropbox and Medium, is that right? Very briefly at Medium, I was there for about three months as a contractor, so not super long. Gotcha. Cool. You did some iOS development for them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done iOS development for a couple different companies. I've also done Python development for a couple different companies. So I'm, i I probably know more languages maybe than an average developer and that I've worked professionally in Python, um, in iOS, in front-end development, HTML, JavaScript. So 
you know, I like to stay learning new things. So what, what were you using Python for? Oh, I did general uh, full stack application development. So you, you also authored or co-authored some specs. I think OAuth was on there and there was another one. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. So I was pretty lucky to get hooked up with the working group on um, OAuth pretty early. Um, a couple of people were playing around um, with building um, authorization for APIs. And the company I was working at, I was working at a small startup of my own called Pounce, and we needed a way to log in the APIs. And so OAuth sounded like a good option. And so I started helping them out and I ended up writing the first open source library for it with some help from my friend, Andy Smith. I'm trying to give credit to people. There were like 12 of us that worked on this, but it ended up being quite widely adopted and ended up sort of taking over, not just API authors, but becoming sort of a way to log in on the web, which I think is pretty cool. And sort of this unintended use of something where we had a very deliberate use case for it. And then it was like, no, people are going to use it in this totally different way, um, which it kind of works for pretty well. And it's actually been pretty, uh, pretty interesting. The other thing I worked on was OEmbed, um, which was um, an early way to sort of scrape web pages and then display like images and videos from them. So for example, if you paste a link into something like Twitter and you want it to display like an image, um, sort of worked on sort of a very early version of that. Nowadays, there's Twitter cards and Facebook Open Graph are two competing things to support. But um, back then it was just OEmbed and we got sites like YouTube and Flickr and sort of all the big sort of media sites of the day to adopt it, which was pretty cool. Some of them still support it, which is great. But, you know, Twitter and Facebook thought they needed their own version of the same thing. So so it sounds like you've had some some really cool experiences, some some work for some great startups, done startups of your own, worked in some iOS development, Python, authored some stuff, had a great road into what you're doing now, which is Breaker. So tell me how you started out with Breaker, how you founded Breaker, and what's the story there? So now that you're saying it, my career has kind of been all over the place. I guess I've always been interested in um, sort of like social apps, social networking, and especially around media. So the idea for Breaker came when I was working at Dropbox. I ended up listening to Serial as a podcast because I got kind of sick of listening to music all the time. Like music's great, but when you're training for a marathon, it's like there's not enough new music out there to sort of like, it just gets boring, right? Um, so I was like, oh, I'd rather like listen to something, you know, a little more story related. So I tried audiobooks and then I... Um, you know, someone recommended listening to Serial, which is the biggest podcast of all time, obviously very popular. And um, so I listened to that. And when I finished listening to Serial, I was like, okay, that was great. I'd love to hear more things like this. What else can I listen to? And when I was using the Apple podcast app, the default one that comes with the phone, and I looked in like their discovery section and they like recommend whole podcasts of things to listen to. And I like tried some of the recommendations and I didn't like them. And then I ended up asking friends, hey, what do you listen to? And I was like, oh, I feel like there's like a real problem here. Like I just want to find like really great episodes to listen to that like people I know like. Um, and so that's kind of where the idea of Breaker came from. It's sort of the idea of a podcast app that helps you discover things to listen to and specifically episodes like you don't have to commit to a whole show you can just listen to like a really great interview you can listen to a great episode that is we do lots of kinds of discovery now but the idea at first was you know recommended from your friends now we do like personalized recommendations based on what you've listened to before we recommend popular episodes amongst the entire breaker community um, ones that are under 20 minutes long, <laughs> ones that are around different topics. So we've kind of really branched out to be like all sorts of types of recommendations. Like our home screen 
basically we modeled it after something like YouTube or Netflix where you can go there and hopefully something will catch your eye. We put things before you, you know, we try and surface things that we really think you individually will really like, which is very different. I think from what other podcast apps are doing. Absolutely. I think Breaker's the only one that I've that I've ever seen or used. I'm actually a, a very active user now that has implemented that sort of detailed discovery or social aspect, commenting, liking, sharing, things like that and following. Um, so it's super cool. But but I gotta ask, so, so there's a lot of podcast apps out there. Like was that a little bit intimidating to be like, I'm gonna go build a better podcast app? Yeah, in some ways, it is intimidating to compete with default, right? We are in the space where like any note-taking app or any email app, we're competing against like a built-in Apple podcast app. And, and that, is, that is difficult. I think where we're, you know, we're trying to figure out what is that thing that's going to really make Breaker stand out. And we've got some of it figured out. And I think we're still working on figuring out more and more pieces of like what is going to make Breaker like the absolute best thing that everyone has to use. And, and we're kind of partway there. So we're still we're still building. So tell me about the MVP. How did you get started? Um, how long did it take you sort of to build the initial prototype? And, um, you know, what, what approach did you take? So Eric and I actually started the company, my co-founder Eric and I. Um, it was a side project. It wasn't a company. Like we didn't quit our day jobs. We actually worked on Breaker as a hobby app on the weekends for about nine months. Um, so it, it was a while before we left our jobs. We would get together on Saturday and talk about features and what we wanted to build. And then usually all day Sunday, I would just work on Breaker. Um, and the same with Eric. So we're both engineers. The back end Eric built and it's in Ruby on Rails, which I actually did not know Ruby on Rails when we started. Now, now I know some Ruby on Rails as well. Um, but it was, you know, his choice because he was building it. So built the back end and then I started building the, the iOS app in Swift. Um, and now, you know, we have a lot more going on than just the Swift app and the Ruby on Rails app. We have a front end in React. We have a back end service that goes out and fetches new episodes, and that's where you go. We're building an Android app as well. So that's in Kotlin. So we have a lot of different projects going on at Breaker, which is pretty exciting. So, uh, you know, while you were building, you know, building iOS, building the back end in Rails, what, what sort of you know, decisions were you having to make to, uh, in the short term? Like, okay, you know, this is the most important feature or we got to use this technology or this library or framework or whatever. Um, and how did you go through that process of making those decisions? Yeah, well, Eric and I have both been um, developing software for over a decade each when, when we started working on Breaker. And I think we kind of, we agree very much on when it comes to building a product, you're building a product. Not, not playing with technology, not trying new things, like focusing on um, really iterating quickly and testing product. So we picked stuff that was really well known, Ruby on Rails, we run the backend on Heroku, um, Swift at that time was stable enough that we felt we could build it in Swift and that would be a good bet for the future, um, which I think has panned out, but that could have been a mistake. Yeah, so we were really thinking about things that were not experimental, just more industry standard, because we knew that Breaker itself would be more the experiment. Like, how do we make this app work as a product? And then sort of what, what trade-offs did we make? I think that's one of them. It's not as fun to, you don't get to play with new stuff when you're having to like 
you know, let's let's stick to just experimenting on one vector at a time. <laughs> like we just want to iterate on product. But we also made trade-offs. For example, one trade-off we made in the very beginning that was huge was we didn't have a designer. Um, and we tried really hard to recruit a designer for a long time. We wanted a design co-founder. We were looking for someone to just come in and help design. And we ended up just doing our own design. Like I think we each kind of pitched in a little bit and like it looked okay. And eventually we were able to hire Emma, um, who's our designer now, who's fantastic. But she joined Breaker, I would say like a year and a half into its existence, um, which is pretty, pretty late. Maybe a year. It's hard to hard to describe because I say Breaker's two years old, but we're really almost three. Um, the company's two years old, but we started working on it nine months before. Gotcha. So you you and Eric are primarily engineers and you're just you're pitching in to make the design happen. Um, essentially before you get some design hands on, on the roster, so to speak. So you, you mentioned bringing Emma on. It's always interesting to hear how, how the teams are formed. So how, how did you go about that process? So, and, and there may be, we may be skipping some stuff in the middle that you got to fill in, but you know, how did you build a team to support Breaker? So we kind of look for, um, basically, we're always trying to outsource ourselves. So in points that we're weakest at or that we're struggling with, it's like, where is our pain point right now? So for a long time, it was design um, and we found our designer. I have a, I have a big problem with um, customer um, support. So like community and community building and reaching out to users. I'm personally very emotional about the products I build and it's hard for me to respond to people. I actually read all the feedback that comes in about Breaker. Every single issue that users send us, I read it, but I have a hard time responding to it. Um, and, and I've known this for a long time. It's just part of me. I struggle with that. So then the second person we, well, actually we hired this person before we hired Emma, but we hired someone to work with community and answer email and be on Twitter and, and that, um, that sort of thing. Um, because that's just something I struggle with a lot. Um, and uh, thought it wasn't the best use of Eric, who's our CEO's time. So um, that was someone we hired right away, um, who's been a great help. We've actually had two different people over over time, but they've both been fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, and so, so for example, that's I guess that's the way we're building the team. We just recently hired a front end web developer and an Android developer, and so sort of the areas where you know we feel we could use more help. We're currently looking for an iOS developer to help take some of. Um, my workload and so I can spend more time being a founder and less time doing iOS development. Um, but we kind of, you know, we, we you know, it's a battle. We need to sort of conserve our resources in terms of finances, but also um, hire the right people to make the, the product work. Is Breaker bootstrapped or do you have angel investors, seed investors? Or are you personally funded? How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. We actually are traditional venture backed Silicon Valley type startup. For the first nine months, we weren't. We were just bootstrapped. We were working on it in our free time. Um, I think because of the angle that we chose to approach the podcast space, which is a free app, we weren't charging money for it. It kind of forced our hand in terms of here's the way that we're going to fund this um, in the short term. I'm actually a big fan of uh, doing funding that makes sense for you. So for example, if you're doing a SaaS product, it's easier to bootstrap and sort of get that that cycle flowing. And, and I'm also a big fan of knowing where the money is going. If you're going to raise venture capital and ask people for money, knowing how that capital is going to be deployed. So we had a very specific plan of here's how we're going to use our money. Here's who we're going to hire. Um, I think that's pretty important. Well, that's great. Okay. So tell, tell me about the name then. How did you come up with Breaker? Okay. This is exciting. Yeah. So actually Breaker being my third startup, I wanted nothing to do with naming. <laughs> 
I was like, I'm done. I've named two startups. I'm done. I don't even want to like name my children when I have them. Like I hate naming things. Like it's so much pressure, too much pressure. And I was like, I don't want anything to do with it. So I told Eric, my co-founder who was excited about naming, I was like, go ahead. Like, you know, so he came up with this whole system. It's like this rubric of like, does it meet these certain things that we want? We want it to be easy to say on the air. Like I can say breaker and it's spelled exactly like it sounds, which is which is pretty nice. I'm trying I'm trying to remember what other criteria was. I wanted it near the beginning of the alphabet because when people list, like if they list podcast apps, they'll sometimes do it in like alphabetical order. I was like, oh, I want it to be like near the top. Yeah, all, all companies with A names, I think about this. I'm like, oh, you know, you just want it to be at the top of that list. <laughs> I think of like other fun things. There's this podcast, an episode of How I Built This with Richard Branson, and he talks about naming Virgin. And what I thought was really interesting about it is he talked about it being sort of like this, like edgy in a way that it was almost like a bad name. People didn't, you know, people wouldn't necessarily name their company that, but it, you remember it, right? Like it's a memorable name. Like you say Virgin and you're like, oh yeah, that's very memorable brand name. So we wanted something that wasn't entirely positive. Breaker probably wasn't that popular as an app name because it has like a slightly negative connotation, but that's kind of popular right now. A lot of apps like Slack, for example, is an app that has kind of a negative connotation name. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Oh man, I've seen some pretty funny ones recently that I'm just like, really, you're gonna name it that? Like there's like a health food startup that's like something to do with like grains. I think it's called Grain and it's like, this is really like a gluten-free moment. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, actually, Eric, I think, came up with Breaker. It was one of a list of 10 on a short list, and I think we both just really liked it. We like. We also like that it's got like a slightly sweetie radio vibe to it, Breaker, Breaker kind of thing. Like We also are on the West Coast. It's kind of a little bit of a jab on New York and the New York podcast scene to have like a West Coast, very beachy kind of name like Breaker. Um, which I liked. I wanted it to be very West Coast. I was like, we're a West Coast podcast company. Let's have like a West Coast name. It, it ended up working. I really like the name. It's easy to spell. Um, and it's been, it's been great for us. What I didn't think about was App Store. And this is a warning to anyone who's building an iOS app or an Android app. Um, really, you know, I thought to like Google the name breaker and make sure there was no products and do a trademark search and things like that. But I didn't think to check in um, the App Store and there were a ton of brick-breaking games. It took us about a year to show up as the first result for the word breaker in the Apple App Store, which was brutal. Tell me about, you know, how you built this thing to scale. So you're, you're obviously, you got, you know, a team, your team's growing, you're getting a lot of traction with breaker. How, how are you keeping an eye on how this thing is scaling and performing and continuing to make it just move like magic? Sure. I, you know, I am someone who strongly believes in the mantra, do not prematurely optimize, um, really build for what you need at the moment and everything is changeable. So it's, it's good to have an eye on the future, but I think as engineers, we can tend to, you know, sort of over architecture and over engineer, um, when something simple will work. Remember like our focus is iterating on product. If it doesn't help us iterate on product, then it's not valuable. So having a complex architecture, having a complex server setup, all of these things don't really help our main goal of iterating on product to find product market fit. Post product market fit, finding um, scaling can be an aid and a product in itself. For example, I worked at Dropbox. Like Dropbox is a product 
where it needs to just work. So the first version was probably not as great as it is now. <laughs> there were huge teams dedicated to making Dropbox perform well because that was one of its features. Like you had to expect it to perform well. And Breaker's the same way. We feel the pain points when things aren't performing well and we optimize for those um, and we revisit and work on things. We actually just did a sprint on performance improvements, so making things faster and, and less buggy. Uh, I love I love the way you put that iterating on product. You mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. and you know engineers tend to over engineer and over architect when it's really about getting the product out there, getting it working. At least at the small scale, that's what it's about. Larger companies, yeah, you want it to perform well, and you need more architecture. Right, you grow with your growth. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it, yeah. You got a team, you get some traction with, with Breaker, it's performing well, you, you know, you're, you're, you're growing with your growth. What are you most proud of with Breaker? I'm actually very proud of our team. I think we have a great team. I think we've had also put in place some good processes. Um, but I also am proud of the ability to change. Like we've had several times in the company's lifetime where we've you know, kind of gone in a different direction and said, hey, we're going to try this feature now or we're going to build this big thing and it's going to take us a while, but we think it's worth it. And I'm really proud of our team's ability to handle that and to, to go above and beyond to make a good product. Okay, the tough question. So what do you feel like was a mistake that you made during the process that perhaps is still, maybe not a mistake right now, but perhaps is still, is it fixed right now? Or what, what's a mistake that actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise? We had something pretty bad happen at Breaker other than not having good app store rankings. Um, we actually lost a year of retention data. We had a bug in how we were tracking our retention data and it made it seem like the numbers were way worse than they actually were. Um, and we saw this huge drop off and we thought for a long time, we, we actually thought it could be a drop off in usage of Breaker but it turned out just the way that we were measuring it was incorrect. And so once we fixed the way that we were measuring things and actually had accurate data, at, at that time almost lost a whole year, which was kind of devastating. So we, we use Mixpanel for tracking and data, though there are many other tracking tools you can use. Um, but basically just an aggregate sort of tracks like are people coming back and using the app. So losing that data was pretty rough. And then something that turned out to be a blessing in disguise, we wanted to do dark mode forever and we just never had time to do like a dark mode for Breaker. We have it now and we were able to do it by the time we kind of became a priority, it was right around Halloween. And so when you switch over to dark mode, we show like some ghosts and we were able to like talk about Halloween in a blog post. So it was a blessing in disguise that was a little slow because we got to do it around Halloween. It would have been fun to do it earlier, but you know, dark mode Halloween. I, I love the dark mode. Thank you for, for making that. You know, there's other features. You know, one thing I regret is that we don't have just more time to do more stuff. Like I, we really want to do CarPlay and Apple Watch and we're working on Android now. So there's all this stuff coming up and this, these all be coming up in the future very soon. Um, so I'm very excited about it. Very cool. Well, that's, a, that's actually one of my next questions. You know, what's the, what's the future look like? Yeah, Android is the big thing. Um, that's the number one requested thing for Breaker is an Android app. So not, you know, it's hard when 
you know, half your friends are on Android and they can't be using Breaker at the same time. So having Breaker on iOS and Android. And then I think uh, we're a little, we're kind of playing around with some other things that we want to do. So there'll always be new stuff from Breaker. We release our app about once a week, which is crazy quite often. I don't know. I think there's a lot of apps that do once a week, but it's, it's you know, we move very quickly. We do one week sprints instead of, you know, several weeks or quarterly or anything like that. We only plan about a week in advance for what we build. So we build fast and iterate quickly. And so I think there'll be exciting stuff coming up. I'm excited. What made you pick iOS over Android first? Is that just based on kind of your you being the founder and it being your, your experience there? Yeah, uh, unfortunately, yes. So ideally, we would have loved to have it on iOS and Android from the very beginning. We looked at building with React Native. Um, which would allow us to launch more quickly on iOS and Android. One of the big problems with that for us is that we're mainly an audio app. About a third of the app is just managing audio. So that's something we'd have to do like low-level API access for anyways. And so when we looked at that, we were like, eh, this is a lot of audio. This, is, this probably should be a more native app. So I totally encourage, you know, that's one thing to think about when starting an app is what is the be- best technology for this? What is the best um, technology for building this product? Right. So, so you're, you're having to use like a lot of AV foundation type stuff. Yep. A lot of AV foundation, MP media player. Yeah. I, I got to work with the now, now playing info center over the past week, which is fun. We've added some yeah. stuff there. Yeah. So it's some, some pretty, uh, pretty old and boring APS for audio. Yeah. AV foundation is for sure cryptic. That's for sure. Yeah. It's funny because there's some stuff that's just not documented at all. You have to email your Apple representative to like, and we, I didn't know how to do this. There's something called a TSI that you can file, which is basically just asking, I don't even know what it stands for, but it's something to ask for technical help. And I just discovered this this year and I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Some of these APIs, it gets, it gets in the weeds a bit. Um, yeah, but how did we choose between iOS and Android? Um, again, it comes down to we wanted to iterate on product first. Um, so we just chose to focus on one. It's like, okay, let's just focus on iOS because Eric and I both had iPhones. I had done iOS development in the past. Um, let's just focus on one thing, get it right, and then move it and build out. And, you know, I wish we could build Android faster, but, you know, we're a small team. We're moving as fast as we can, and hopefully it'll be out really soon. So this is kind of a side question, but do you have strong feelings of native versus cross-platform compiled apps versus, you know, uh, say Cordova or, you know, web-based phone apps? What are your, what are your thoughts there? My thought is whatever works for you, whatever makes it easy to develop and is fast and works for the type of product. I think, like I said, Breaker being an audio app, it made a lot of sense to go native, but I think if it was more just views of data, maybe doing something um, more hybrid or cross-platform would be better. Well, you've kind of already uh, touched on this a little bit, but what's next for you and what's next for Breaker? You mentioned a couple of things, but any other, other things you wanna highlight? Yeah, I, I've got some exciting news. I'll be speaking at um, AltConf, which is the alternative to Apple's WWC conference. It's like a free conference that runs at the same time called AltConf. Very cool. Giving a talk there in a couple of weeks. So I'm pretty excited about that. It'll be about how to not make your app crash or how to have your app not crash. Great topic. Yeah, great to- I love it because at Breaker, it's a huge priority of ours to never have the app crash. <laughs> We have our own podcast that just came out called Breaking Ground. So we're making new episodes of our own podcast. If you want to hear more about sort of the internals of Breaker, you can subscribe to Breaking Ground. It's not just on Breaker. It's actually on every podcast app. 
um, and then you can stay more up. If you're really into Breaker and want to keep keep hearing what us talk about what we're working on, you get to hear from more of the team too, rather than just me. Name an architect or CTO or tech person or uh, even outside of tech if there's if there's someone that is outside of tech that you look up to and then tell me why you look up to them. Right. So I actually have a couple people that I look up to mostly on Twitter, people I follow on Twitter. So um, one is uh, Charity Majors. She's CTO of an app called Honeycomb, which is more of like an infrastructure product. I don't know. I'm not actually that good at infrastructure. Um, but I highly recommend following her on Twitter because she doesn't shy away from controversial opinions. So what's interesting is oftentimes in development and tech, you'll hear people take a stance like, this is the way to do things. Like recently someone tweeted, like, don't deploy code on a Friday, you know, and that's kind of considered wisdom. Like, hey, you don't want to ruin your weekend if something goes wrong. And Charity is like, no, deploy on a Friday. <laughs> and here's why. <laughs> so she lays out different, you know, so she likes to take a little counter opinion, which I really appreciate. Um, so Charity Majors is someone I like to follow on Twitter. And then the other person in the podcast space I really admire is Kara Swisher. Um, I don't know if you've heard her podcast, Recode, Decode. But what I really love about her is she's an amazing interviewer. So she asks really tough questions. So she'll, her interview with Mark Zuckerberg is most excellent. If you'd like, to, And she just did one with Mark Benioff that's also very good. Um, so she asks really tough questions of folks in tech and really gets to sort of the heart of the issue and what sort of us as consumers are thinking about tech um, and sort of she expects more of tech leaders. And I think that's really great. If you could go back to the beginning, and actually I'll, I'll ask this in two different ways. If you could go back to the beginning of your career, what would you do differently or consider taking um, another approach to your career or the places you worked? Um, so first off, just that. So if you could go back to the beginning of your career, what would you do differently? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because it's something I couldn't do when I started my career, but I could do now which is really exciting, which is that I think I would have really enjoyed being in finance and being a venture capitalist. And when I started in tech about 12 years ago, yeah, when I started, there were no women venture capitalists. There were very few, nobody, right? And they weren't treated well. So it wasn't like seen as this viable career path. You couldn't be like, hey, I'm gonna invest in startups. It just wasn't a thing women did or could do. Um, but now, Every venture capital firm is dying to have women partners. Yeah, sure. Oh, this is great. Um, you know, and I'm working on Breaker now, so obviously I can't jump into that. But like, I would, I would love to get into venture capital. I've been doing some angel investing in my free time. Um, I tend to invest sort of in like developer tools because that's a space I know very well. Um, but if I had more time and could do everything again, I'd love to learn about different sectors of technology. I'd love to do the research. I'd love to learn about sort of the finance angle of things. Um, and I'm kind of learning that slowly now, but you know, I don't have a ton of free time with Breaker to work on that. So if you could go back to the beginning of Breaker, what would you do differently? Oh, that is so hard to answer because I have no idea how things would be different. You know, we have built things that didn't work or that, you know, we didn't build things fast enough or, you know, there's all sorts of things we could do differently, but I can't really, 
I think the path that we're on is kind of the path that we were meant to be on. And I don't see any previous points. In the, I don't, I don't see any strong points in the past where I'm like, Oh, I really wish we had done this <laughs> except for maybe not lose some of that, that <laughs> retention. <laughs> but you know, so we worked on it really hard and we just couldn't figure it out. So sometimes things just take time to develop and progress. Like I would have loved to have a designer from day one instead of, you know, a year later, but I don't, you know, I don't know what we could have done differently. I think we've been trying to do our best and working really hard. And I think that's all you can do. What, what did, what advice would you give someone who's starting out in engineering or in tech and has aspirations to, you know, build their own product and change the world? What, what would you tell them? Oh, I love it. I'm always so excited. Um, like I mentioned before, I've been getting a little into angel investing. And part of that is just supporting other entrepreneurs. Like I like to be part of that process. I love to like hear what people are working on and even just their initial ideas on things. Um, it's super exciting. So my advice is to go for it. And again, some interesting bits from Breaker is like, you can do it as a side project. We didn't quit our day jobs. I had a day job um, while building Breaker. Um, and in fact, I could have probably kept that day job longer. Um, we ended up having enough users and traction that we were like, yeah, we should probably quit our day jobs. <laughs> but uh, we ended up taking some funding and we were like, okay, we probably have to leave our jobs. Um, but you know, you could, you could keep that going for longer. Um, so I think a mistake um, that, that we could have made that, you know, or, you know, the, that I have made in the past with other companies is um, being like, oh, to be an entrepreneur, I have to quit my job. I have to incorporate my company. I have to do all these things. None of that's necessary. To be honest, like we didn't even incorporate Breaker, I think until a year after we started working on it. And it was just so we could take funding. <laughs> like we needed it for like the bank account. So like, I guess my advice is like, don't do things until you absolutely need them. Like just build out the core of the product and get it tested and get it in front of users as fast as possible. Like get things tested, get them like, get people trying things because you'll get feedback so much faster. So anything to accelerate that product feedback loop um, is really important and nothing else is. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess that's my advice. Um, but also, you know, go for it. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's very hard, but a lot of fun. Um, so you mentioned uh, angel investing into some developer tools. Can you uh, tell us something about those developer tools, names? Can you promote them or anything like that? Oh, you want me to promote? Yeah, sure. So um, actually, there's only one of them, I think, that's still running independently. <laughs> so I'll promote that one. <laughs> I haven't done okay. that many angel investments. I've done like five but it's called Sentry um, and we use it at Breaker. Um, it's a tool to help surface um, crashes and um, what do I say, like fatal errors. So we use it in our Ruby on Rails app um, and every time the app crashes or has like a bug, it'll like send us an email and a report. So it's pretty nice and it batches them together so you don't get like a bazillion of the same same bug report. And then you can like assign them to people to like work on and so, so it's pretty good. So yeah, and I Angel invested in them pretty early on because uh, I knew the founder, David Kramer, from working at Dropbox. Oh, that's very cool. I, th I think I know Sentry. I think we're using Sentry at Variable. So that's the fun thing about being here in the Bay Area. There's like a lot of people doing sort of angel investing. A lot of people that worked at Dropbox. So a lot of the people that invested in Sentry from Dropbox also invested in Breaker. So it was really nice because a lot of our early angel investors are also folks that worked at Dropbox. Oh, that's great. That network stays strong. Yeah, yeah. Oh, one thing I kind of do regret about my own career is not sort of working at a big company sooner to make those connections. So I didn't start working at Dropbox till I was, 
you know, quite far in my career. And I kind of wish I had tried out a bigger company earlier just to sort of form those connections and, and meet with people. But I was like, I don't want to work for a big company. I want to <laughs> work at startups. Well, great. Um, is there anything else you want to, uh, you want to throw out there? Thank you so much for having me on the show. This has been great, great conversation. I, you know, I'd love if they, you know, if you're listening to this on an app that's not Breaker, <laughs> if you download Breaker, give it a try. You can send us an email at feedback at breaker.audio. And I actually see all the emails, though I may not respond to them personally. You might hear from Jacob, um, who works on our community support instead of me. But now you know why. Very cool. Well, uh, Leah, appreciate the time. Really appreciate the, uh, the interview. Uh, excited to, about the success and traction of Breaker. Yeah, thank you so much, Noah. This has been really great. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laubhart. Co-produced and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at codestory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.